chapter 1, verse 11 this week. I want to recap the first 10 verses. Paul starts off a few verses with uh, an extended salutation. Hi, I'm Paul, an apostle of God. He lays out the gospel message for us right away. God sent Jesus to die for us because we're in this evil age and we need to be saved. Galatians chapter 1 continues. Verse 10, Paul ends the book of the, that little section of Galatians with who am with this question, who am I trying to please? Who are you trying to please today? Some folks spend way too much time trying to please the wrong people. We work, the popular saying is that we work or we perform for an audience of one. Paul concludes that he must please God before he pleases man. That man can be pleased, but that's not our primary goal. So verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Remember the umbrella arch of all of this, the big idea of the book of Galatians. The gospel has gone out. It has been preached. Some time has gone by, and the gospel has been changed. And the original message is no longer the message that was being preached. Paul's coming back in with the return of the gospel. He's bringing the gospel back with him. He is bringing the original message of salvation, the only message of salvation, back to the church to correct them because they need to be corrected. They need to be rebuked. They need to be convicted of the sin that has taken place. For this group of people in particular, the Galatian churches, Judaizers have come in. A Judaizer is, is folks of Jewish descent who began to teach, okay, yes, you, you need Jesus for salvation and circumcision. You need Jesus for salvation and to worship on a specific day. You need Jesus for salvation and to, to fulfill this uh, religious ritual also. And Paul will bring in that there is no other gospel. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. You take away the gospel message when you add to it, and you take away the gospel message when you take away from it. You change it. There is no watered-down gospel. It's just, a bad, it's just bad news as opposed to good news, which is all gospel means, good news. Starting in verse 11, Paul is going to at length explain his calling. And we're just going to go through a few verses today and continue next week with Paul's calling. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism uh, beyond many of my own age among, among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Let's pray. Jesus, your word is good. I pray that we see your son Jesus in this today, that we know more about him, that that the, the, the furrowed brow, arm crossed, angry, smoldering uh, 
angry old man of a God that is portrayed through religion would be replaced by the loving, merciful, graceful, uh, gracious God that we find in the, in the Bible. I praise you, Lord, and pray for, for your Holy Spirit to teach your people and to reveal to your people and show your people the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul, if you're not familiar with the Apostle Paul, that's okay. We will, uh, we will recap his story for just briefly. Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to a man named Saul. It's from a place called Tarsus. Saul is a Jew, a Pharisee. Now, we know from the Gospels that the Pharisees were the religious elite. They kind of told people what to do and how to do it when it came to worshiping and following God. Paul was a Pharisee amongst Pharisees. That's the way he puts it. So if he's in the group of Pharisees, he was just way far of the pack, way ahead of the pack, way exceeding what everybody else was doing, learning faster, doing more stuff. If, if everybody was praying for an hour, he was doing two, that kind of a guy. Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to Saul. He's overseeing the stoning death of a man named Stephen. He has been charged by the, the religious leaders to go and destroy the Christian church. It's just started just a few years in. Uh, not a lot has happened. Well, excuse me, a lot of things have happened, but there's not a whole lot of time. There's not a whole, bunch, you know, a whole lot of leaders yet. There are some, but it's still, it's still in its infancy. So Paul's going out. He's got this permission to destroy the church. And so this one particular day, this young man named Stephen, he gets stoned to death. He gets stoned to death because he's preaching about Jesus. He, he gives a very stern warning, a very stern sermon to the Jewish people who are around him with stones in their hands. Preaches Jesus one last time. They stone him to death. And it says, Saul is on the, the, the outside. Good job, men. Good job. I approve of this. You have the religious seal of approval on this activity right here. Religion is funny. We preach a relationship with Jesus. Religion is completely different. Religion is so weird. Religion approves of these types of activities. Religion watches a man stone another man to death and says, yes, this is good. That's religion. Religion's more worried about the external without any regards to the internal. There are folks that go around, they, they are preaching the gospel, I'll, I'll give them that, the benefit of that doubt, but then salvation becomes like the stamp on the side of the airplane. I got one more, got one more, got one more, got one more, got 15 salvations today. But these people walk away and then never walk with Jesus again. The religious aspect of it says, I got a bunch of salvations, I'm meeting criteria, I'm meeting quotas. But the relationship aspect, nothing's changed. No one's really met Jesus. People are confused. There's no discipleship. There's, there's no reading of the word. There's no praying. There's no community. There's no love. There's no family. And so religion, religion points out the external and the ritual and the things and the stuff. And, and the relationship says there's this God named Jesus, and he wants you to walk with him all the days of your life. 
Saul of Tarsus is fighting that. In, in Acts chapter 9, though, Jesus meets him. Jesus blinds him. I'm under the impression, and I can't call this a rule, but if you're like a really good sinner, your transformation, salvation moment becomes that much greater. It's like a scale. If you go down this way, your transformation comes up this way. Saul is way down here. And Jesus meets him on a road to a place called Damascus and blinds him. And says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you think that God doesn't care about his church, look at the words that Jesus says to Paul in regards to his church. Why are you persecuting me? Paul realizes, or Saul rather, realizes that he's just met God. And that he's been set apart to preach the gospel. So he completely goes from one team to another. To use, to use uh, terminology that probably I will only understand, it's like he went from playing for the Dallas Cowboys to playing for the San Francisco 49ers. That's how drastic it was. He went from Satan's team to God's team. The Giants are the guys in the back just hoping to get by. <laughs> no. Okay, it's not even football season yet. Come on. So he goes from killing the church, like not metaphorically killing, like, oh, I have all this legislature and I'm going to restrict you. No, killing, taking lives to now preaching the gospel of the guy whom he's trying to kill. That's a drastic conversion. That's a big deal. From that moment on, Saul of Tarsus goes out and he preaches the gospel. From that moment on, it's all about pleasing God, not about pleasing man. In this, in this Galatian church, they've been pleasing man. Men have come in and said, oh, this story about Jesus? It sounds good, but it sounds too good to be true. Let's dress it up a little. Let's put some ritual in here. Let's light some candles. Let's get some scripted prayers. The guy in front's not wearing enough robes or headdresses. Let's get him involved somehow. Let's, let's have a lot of religious activity so we can, we can have this checklist of stuff we can mark off. Did this, did that, did this, and then we'll find God. We'll set up a system. Sounds drastic, but that's exactly what we do today. You tell people the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's too simple. By faith. I am saved? Yes, faith in the completed works of Jesus. That you're saved. Yeah, but don't I have to go to a holy place or talk to a holy man? Or, or No. There's one holy man. His name is Jesus. There's one holy place, and where Jesus is, that's where it is. But don't I have to say a specific prayer? No, you have to just tell God, man, I'm bad, and you're good. And I'm dead, but you're alive, and he makes you alive. Paul's calling is being referred to. He's, being, he's reminding the people of what the gospel is. The gospel is simple. Jesus loves us, so he dies for us. Because without that sacrificial death, it's our death eternally in hell, which we will experience. But God loves us so much that he saves us from that. Not only does he save us from that, from what we deserve, he then gives us what we don't deserve. So we would call the first mercy, the second is grace. 
God gives to us that which we don't deserve, which is heaven in himself. For those who, who think that if I just say a prayer, I get a ticket into heaven, it doesn't really work like that. Because if you meet Jesus like Saul of Tarsus, it completely changes your life. It changes how you see your wife. It changes how you see your children, your heritage and legacy, how you work at your job. It changes everything, everything. Don't be tricked into a cheap gospel that says just say a prayer and you'll, and you'll get to heaven one day. You've been called. You have been called, maybe not to the same capacity as Paul. Paul will go to great lengths in other letters that he wrote explaining the body of Christ, how it's like a body. Not everybody's the hand, not everybody's the foot, not everybody's the shoulders. Everybody plays a part. And the best thing you can do is know your part, know your calling, and then work right there. Uh, we talked about this on Wednesday. Uh, Angel coaches uh, baseball. I played Little League baseball. I was amazing. <laughs> because there's nothing better than a four-foot kid who wears, weighs about 120 pounds. Guess where they put me? Catcher. Now, I was okay with being the catcher because I got to start. That's, that's a big deal. Um, but man, being a catcher is the worst. Like you're always on your on you're always in the squatting position, and your back starts hurting, your knees start hurting, and then you gotta get up, throw the ball. And then you get a pitcher who doesn't have any control and like the ball's way over there. It's like <sighs> here's the thing. When you ask a group of kids what position they want to play when it comes to baseball, pitcher, first base, left field. Why? They get they handle the ball more than anybody else on that field. Everybody wants to be quarterback. Nobody wants to be nose tackle. You know what a nose tackle does? Nobody knows anymore. They went extinct. Nose tackles were like the worst position on defense because you just endured so much. Nobody chooses that role. You go to the fivefold ministry of Ephesians chapter 4, prophet, apostle, evangelist, pastor, teacher. Everybody wants those. Oh, those are the big ones. Make me an apostle. Make me an evangelist. Make me a, a, a prophet. Or a pastor or a teacher. Nobody says, make me the custodian of the church, please. I want to. I feel called to clean the toilets. Nobody says that. I want, I'm not picking on Dan at all. I want to be the sound guy. Dan's doing all kinds of work back there nobody ever even sees. No accolades. Nobody going there showering him with praise. We don't parade him up here on a Sunday morning. He, he just does all his work behind the scenes. He loves it that way. But nobody chooses that position because nobody sees it. People, when they do stuff for God, they want to be seen. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. I gave $5. Look at me. Look at me. I did this over here. I'm helping this old lady. Everybody wants to be seen in what they're doing because that's human nature. That's, that's the pride of man. We, we all have that. Everybody. So God is the one in charge of our callings. He gives to those what he desires. One of my favorite verses, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but basically says, God called the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Here's the idea. The, the world in and of itself thinks it's pretty wise. So rather than God getting together a team of super elite people, he calls what the world would consider the foolish. 
He doesn't call the CEOs. He doesn't call the big-name actors. He doesn't call the superstar football player. He doesn't call the people who have the most money or the most education. He calls the one that the world would see and look at and say, you're nothing. Because in that, he receives the most glory. Because in that, when that quote-unquote nothing does something, you walk away having to admit to yourself, that was God doing something through that person. And you realize that that person's not really nothing in the eyes of God. I don't stand up here because I have the the best uh, talk skills. (laughs) I don't, uh, I'm not svelte. I'm not the best looking or the most schooled. God just said, hey, go preach, and I go preach. And I hope that people hear this message in, or despite my shortcomings, that you would still hear the gospel of Jesus, regardless of the person giving it to you. But you have a calling. What is your calling? Do you ask yourself that? Do you take moments out of the day just, God, what do you want me to do? That's a good question to be asking. For you moms here today, that's a huge, very high calling to be a mom. Not just a mom, but to be a mom is a huge deal. If you've ever been on the internet and you've seen ladies who have children but aren't really being moms and it breaks your heart, yeah, they're missing their calling. If if you have a child whom God has blessed you with, that's a high calling. If you read the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and how she just desperately wanted a child, but yet her womb was barren. And finally she's blessed with this young boy named Samuel. You just, the joy leaps off the page that she has been called to be a mom. It's a high calling. You read the story of of Mary, this young girl whom the angel comes to and says, hey, you're going to have a baby. But wait. I haven't done that which makes a baby. Me and my husband still aren't married. We haven't had sexual relations yet. Well, you're going to be you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit in a different way. That baby's going to be the son of God. She sings a song. She doesn't say, "Oh man, what am I going to do? I'm 13. My dad's going to kill me." She sings a song because she's going to be a mom. Dads, being a dad is awesome. Being a dad is the best. If there's, it, you could take away everything else. Let me be a dad. Let me sing songs with my kids at night. Let me show them a bug. Let me pick up a bug out of the garden and chase my daughter with it. Let me tell my son how stuff works. Let me explain to him that when daddy's not home, you make sure all the doors are locked before you go to bed. Let me tell my daughter, when she asks me, who am I going to marry? Which at three years old, this has already happened. Who am I going to marry? And I tell her, me and Jesus will take care of that. (laughs) Let me do that. Which, by the way, she's fully on board with. She totally trusts Jesus and daddy. We're going to find the right boy or die trying. (laughs) Let me do that. Let me preach the gospel there first. Let me tell them about Jesus. Here's what I'm convinced. People always say, well, aren't you afraid of force feeding your child, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm never afraid of force feeding them birthday cake. I've never had to convince my children to eat cake. Anybody ever had to do that? No. 
kids see the cake and they're like, oh, and they go after the cake and they eat the cake and they know. And so for me, preaching the gospel to them is like, hey, here's Jesus. He's awesome. He loves you. He died for you. He wants you to be awesome too. And they just go, Jesus is great. They're constantly asking me, does that person know Jesus? I don't, I don't know. They just gave me the bird as we were driving by. I'm going to say no, but we can still pray for them. What is your calling? If you're a dad, awesome calling. If you're a mom, awesome calling. If you're a grandparent, these are great callings. And we haven't even gotten out of the box yet. We haven't even talked about how we're going to you know, preach the gospel. That in and of itself is enough work. These are great callings. For Paul, he really wanted to preach to the Jewish people. He was a Jew. He understood the Jewish people. He kept trying to preach to the Jewish people, and they kept rejecting him. And he kept saying stuff like, your own blood's on your hands. Your own blood is on your head. I'm leaving. I'm taking my Bible, and I'm going. Because you're not hearing the gospel anymore. But you know what you'd see the next week? Paul, in a synagogue, preaching to Jewish people. Because he loved his people. Maybe your people isn't based on a race. Maybe it's just a group of people or a family. And, and, and you are the only one who knows Jesus. Maybe you're called to talk to them. Maybe you're called to show them the gospel. Here's what I do know. You're called to preach regardless of your outside circumstances. Just start preaching the gospel. Just start, li- excuse me, just start living the gospel. That's what Paul did. From the moment of his conversion, boom. He goes before the Jews. He goes before the Gentiles. There's riots and he's imprisoned and all this stuff happens. But he's got Jesus and that's his one mission. That's his calling. What is your calling? Here's the part. We read the Bible too fast. Anybody read the Bible too fast? Got to read four chapters and get through this because Pastor Tony said I got to read my Bible, read my four chapters, I'm done. We read the Bible too fast. Slow down. I I think it's better to read five, ten verses really slow than a whole bunch of chapters and get nothing out of it. Verse 15 says, but when he, that is Jesus, who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Very rarely, if ever, and I'm as guilty as this as anybody, do we portray God in this joyful, happy, full of life light. Paul says, it pleased God to tell me about his son, Jesus. That word, whenever it's used in the New Testament, Testament, more often than not, it's referring to God's joy, that God is pleased. Jesus wants to be known by you, and that makes him happy. He's more than gracious. He wants you to know. See, religion, religion builds up a box around God and says, okay, find a way in. Say the right prayer, write the light candle, or excuse me, uh, light the right candle, show up on the right day, make sure you have the right version of the Bible, make sure you have the right denomination, make sure you meet at 1030, not 1130. All this stuff, you get all that, you pick that big giant lock around God, and then you find Jesus in there. And the Bible's completely backwards. God is pleased to reveal to you Jesus. What that means is is when you pray and you ask God to show me Jesus, 
that if the gospel is true and I'm meant and I'm called, he is pleased to reveal him to you. In the same way that when someone comes to your house and you've completed something on Pinterest and you say, look, come here, let me show you how I made this. See this old, uh, see these old two by fours and these pallets and how I made it into a shelf and it's all kinds of different colors. See that? Here's what I did. I went down over here. I found some pallets. They were on the side of the road and they were a little rough, but we sanded them down a little bit. Then we got some paint samples from uh, Lowe's and they gave me a hard time, but that's another story. And then we painted it, we put it up on the wall and then we hang our jackets on it. Like, wow, you did that? Yeah, it really pleases me to reveal to you how I made this. God's like that. Here's my son. I'm sending my son. You need my son. He's going to die from you, for you, excuse me. Uh, and, and that might be sad, but you need him to do that. Because without that, you die. And you suffer eternally. In a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I love you more than that. I'd rather keep you from that than let you justly go there. Because I don't have to convince you that you're a sinner. You, if you came and told me, Tony, you're a sinner, I would just say, yeah, let me get you the list. I'll show you the stuff I do wrong. I'll, I'll show you exactly why I need Jesus. And if, you, and if you're, pardon my language, but if you're foofing around and saying, oh, I'm not a sinner. I don't do anything wrong. I do a couple things, but not as bad as that guy. Totally missed the point. You're worse than that guy. The people who deserve hell, because of your sin, you deserve, you deserve hell too. I deserve hell. That's the point of Jesus. We deserve hell. Instead, we're given, given Christ. Paul warns that there's false gospels and false prophets and all they do is just build up religion and hide jesus so you live in this constant state of did i hit the mark did i make it did i do it am i on the good side am i on the bad side and they just keep saying nope just that close next time next sunday maybe next sunday you'll speak in tongues maybe next sunday you'll prophesy maybe next sunday because apparently only god can do stuff on sundays maybe next sunday you'll get it better and you walk around constantly. Wow, I, I hope I make it one day. The Bible says my life is like a vapor. That's pretty quick. That's what religion does. The Bible says that God is pleased to reveal himself to you. The Bible says when it refers to itself as a mystery, because there are some like, oh, the Bible is mystical and mysterious. The Bible refers to itself as a mystery revealed in Jesus. You see Jesus, you get the Bible. If you understand that Jesus is the Son of God, then you, you got it. Jesus is the Son of God, died and crucified for my sins, seated at the right hand of the Father. Then you got the whole Bible. Even the maps in the back, you got it. That's, that's the point of this, that you would know Jesus and that you'd be known by Jesus. And that from this moment on, not in a day far away when you die in the by and by, but right now you would know Jesus and live eternally from this point on. That the, yes, this body will die, but the Bible says it will be transformed in the blink of an eye. Praise God for that. I'm only 35. I'm already longing for a new body. Because when you get up in the middle of the night and you got to go downstairs, 
and your ankles aren't awake yet, that's not a lot of fun, right? And I'm only 35. And when you got more and more gray hair every day, like where is it even? Like that hair was not gray yesterday, and now it's gray? Come on. I'm, I'm really ready for that. I, I don't imagine it gets too much better from here on out. Some of you that I pray with and you, you call me to pray for you and the ailments you're going through, man, praise God those all have an expiration date. That one day those pains and, and, and that, that, that weight of just being burdened by sickness will be gone one day. We live in a fallen world. That's why bad stuff happens. But this world will be changed one day. Ask my son. He'll tell you. One day there'll be a new heavens and a new earth where no one will be broken. No one will be hurting. No one will take advantage of you. No one will abuse you in the name of Jesus. No one will abuse you because they're bigger than you. Because they're higher up in the food chain than you. That place is coming. But it can start today. Your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to use the terminology of the Bible. That once you do pass from this life, you will be before the Lord. And if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, a phrase that you find repeatedly in the New Testament, if you are in Christ, if you are found in Christ, God sees him and his sacrifice and not your sin. Because your sin's been washed away. The big idea is that the gospel's been changed. It has. In our own country, the gospel is the story about how God wants a better you, the story about how you can have a better life, how you can finally overcome this or that. That's not the gospel. Those things might happen. I could tell you without a shadow of a doubt right here and right now, my life's way better now than it was before Jesus. But that's because I have Jesus and no other reason. It's not because everything got easier. It actually got harder. It's not because anything got less painful. It actually became more painful. As a pastor and a preacher... I go through my own pains with my family and then people come and tell me, hey, this is what's happening. My marriage is dissolving and my children are dying and my parents are going nuts. And, and so I, I pray with them and I carry those burdens with them. And you'll do the same. And you'll do it because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Because you're pleasing God, not man. Because the gospel has to be preached. The good news. Because there are really... Really, thousands of people in Canastota, New York, tiny town, four stoplights, thousands of people who will die and go to hell because they've never heard the gospel. They think they have or they heard a variation of it. They realize Jesus is a thing and all that, but they don't know the gospel. And I'll preach till my lungs give out, but I'd much rather have a group of people like yourselves who go out to preach the gospel to places I'll never go, to people I'll never meet. So what is the gospel? Turn to Ephesians 
not a Cheezins. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says this. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in, once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. If you want to know what God sees and how he views you before Jesus, this is it. A child of wrath, born into sin, sinner by nature. Romans 5 and 8, you don't have to turn there, but I I pray that you brought your notebook and write this down. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible's not a story that once everybody gets it together, then Jesus will die and make things right. The story is people don't have it together. Jesus died so that one day people could get it together and live for him. Jesus is not waiting for us to get better. Jesus died in hopes that we could get better, that we would call on him to continue in Ephesians chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he, he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses or in our sin or in our iniquity, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches that is in, excuse me, of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result, a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Big idea. You're a sinner, but God loves you. And God's love for you is greater than your sinful proclivity. That God is rich in mercy. That by faith, not just vague faith. Oh, I have faith. No, faith in the completed work of Jesus on the cross. That the man, the the God-man who died on the cross, shedding real blood, breathing real heavy breath as he died, that that, Death satisfied the wrath of God. It's by that faith you are saved. So that you can't go to heaven and you can't go in front of people and say, hey, God loves me because of all the great stuff I do. God loves me because I was a really bad sinner. But he was a better father than I am a sinner. So how should you respond? Hopefully you've heard something. I don't even need like you to hear the actual message I'm preaching. I just need you to hear the Holy Spirit. I have access to your ears. God has access to your heart. And that is what God is trying to change. And I can get to there from the ears, but God gets straight to the heart of the matter. Now, how should you respond? Should you, If you have heard this message today and you understand something's got to change, this is the day. 
I know too much now. If I turn away, I'm just being stubborn. I'm just being willfully ignorant to the truth that is before me. How should I respond? First is surrender. This is the international sign for surrender. Any culture, any place, you put your hands up, you do one of two, you're doing two things. You're showing that you are unarmed and you're exposing the weakest part of you. You are completely saying, I I give up. Now, before an enemy, that's bad. You're, you're, that's just bad. But before a loving father, it's not. When you surrender, you find the grace of God. You'll see that played out with your own children. You go to a child, they broke something. They did it. I had to do it. It wasn't my fault. You shouldn't have put that there. Okay, there's going to be consequences. You show up. I'm so sorry, Dad. I, I, I ran too fast. I didn't see it there. I bumped into it, and I broke it. I'm so sorry. I'll, I'll buy you another one. I'll, I'll fix it. Where's the glue? As a dad, it's it's a pretty jerky dad at that point to be like, well, I'm going to discipline you. Good dad says, man, let's go talk about this some more. I'll get the glue. Let's put it together ourselves. You come to God the Father like that, God, I've sinned. I'm so sorry. I repent of my sins. You don't find a wrathful God saying, yeah, I know you're a sinner. I've been waiting for this moment. I'm going to give you a piece of my mind. No. You find the open arms of a father welcoming you in. The first thing you need to do is surrender. Second, repent. Repent. This is the part that gets lost a lot in our modern gospel. Repenting in its most basic form is just turning away from one direction. So uh, not the band, but the actual direction. So you're walking this way towards sin. Repentance says turn around and walk back this way towards Jesus. That's repentance. And there might be tears and there might be crying out and big heartfelt prayers. Or maybe it's just a realization that I need to do this because I've been wrong and Jesus is right. Either way, repentance is simple. Turn away from sin back towards Jesus. That's part two. Number three, worship. We sing these songs that I masterfully played. Not because they're top 40 hits, not because they are incredibly written or anything like that. All we're doing is just worshiping the Lord. Just just being vulnerable before the Lord, singing a song. Few things make you more vulnerable than singing, right? Some of you have wonderful voices and you sing like birds and you'll do it at the drop of a hat. God bless you two people. The rest of us are like, I don't know. You're going to hear me and see me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put myself out there. Like that's a lot. That's why worship becomes such an intimate time. It's why worship and song becomes one of those places that most people gravitate towards. It's why when you fall in love with somebody and there's a song that's playing at that same time, those songs now have a special meaning to you. There are songs that I I heard when my wife and I first met, songs I don't even like, but because I heard them in that courtship, courtship, courtship time of our lives, you're going to have to do some editing there, Dan. Um, 
they mean something to me. I hear that song. I have a memory. Oh, yeah, I remember we did that and this and this and that. And that was so fun. It's why God uses music. It's this universal language that we all get, that we all understand, that we all speak. Worship is as easy as just bowing before the Lord and saying, you are my God. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. Jesus, you are everything the Bible tells you, tells me that you are. And lastly is to be loved back. Now, I'll say this especially to moms today. Dads, you're not off the hook. Your day's coming in June. But today, moms, you need to allow the Lord to love you. Here's what I mean by that. You are very, very good at sacrificing yourself. I have met few moms that are not willing to give everything they have and everything dad has to help you, right? Even moms that don't have it together find a way to still be a mom. And you moms, I applaud you for doing that. But you're kind of like a bucket. And if all you do is pour out, eventually you won't have anything poured into you. You can't pour into an upside-down bucket. And if you don't allow the Lord to just love you because you are his creation, you are going to run dry one day. You are going to find yourself empty. And you've got to take that time to tilt the bucket back up as brief as it might be, to get filled back up by the Lord again. You only have so much you can do in your power. If you understand synergy, regular mathematics says one plus one is two. Synergy says one plus one equals four. Take one horse, they'll pull X amount of weight. Take two horses, they'll pull four times the original horse. That's synergy. You can do a little bit, But God pouring into you, you will do so much more. You will help so many more people. You will love so many more people. You will serve so many more people. And if you're a mom, that's what you really are wanting to do. But you got to be filled back up. That bucket's got to come back up. Dads, you got to help get that bucket back up. Husbands, you got to tell your wife to take a minute. Go pray. Go read. Listen to a sermon. Go over your notes from Pastor Tony's sermon. Go do something. Go listen to a song. Go take a drive. Go for a walk. Go be alone and quiet. Turn off your phone. Put away the computer. And just be quiet for a little bit and let the Lord fill you back up. Now, guys, we need that too. But the ladies in the, in the, in the, in the act of servitude will refuse it. Ladies, you can't do that. You got to let the Lord love you in that way. You are worth it. God wants it for you. Don't reject it. So let's stand this morning. <clears throat> We're going to pray. We already prayed for the moms. Moms, if you're on Pinterest, follow us on Facebook or follow us there, South Bay Chapel. I have a board on my Pinterest that says stuff I'll never do. That's Pinterest. Church, I want us to pray together. If if you are not in Christ Jesus, let me let me just put a, 
a line right down the middle of this room. If you are not in Christ Jesus and you're on this side of the line, a lot of the message today misses. It's like, what? What is he talking about? It's because you're not in Christ Jesus. You are not in him. I told you the story last week about Ethan being in the couch. He hid in the couch. He was, he was in couch. I could not see him. Completely enveloped. He popped out and scared me. I didn't even know he was there. That's the type of imagery that the Bible uses of being in Christ. We are so enveloped by him that we are lost in him. If you're not in Christ, though, you, you are outside of Christ. And the first thing you've got to do is take care of that. And I pray today that you respond in faith. Here's as simple as it can be. Lord, I believe. Change me. Make me a new creation. Transform me. That's that simple. For those of you who have maybe gone through that moment, and you're a new Christian, and you're, 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 the, the honeymoon phase is kind of waning, and, and you're starting to realize, oh, this is a day in, day out, grind it out, walk with Jesus, I want to pray for you. Because there's, the Bible's pretty big on finishing and finishing well. And for those of you who have been doing just that for so long, I want to pray that as you are becoming spiritual fathers and mothers in Christ, that you will lead and guide other folks who are trying to get to that place. Not that you've made it or, or attained Christ in some way that nobody else has, but you have this, this place of being in a parental role spiritually. I want to pray for you too. If you're sick, I want to pray for you. And you don't have to come up if you don't want to, but I sure would like it if you did. If you need prayer for some type of healing, we can do that for you. I believe that God could heal you today. I don't know that he will, and it would be wrong of me to tell you that he would. But he can. So if you need prayer while we're praying, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, you can come up to the altar if you'd like. I make that invitation, and you take it if you'd like. But I would like for us to start praying. Jesus, first off, thank you. Those of us here today who are in Christ are in Christ because it pleased you to reveal your son to us. And we haven't taken anything that you have not offered to everyone. I praise you that your son died for us and now lives seated at the right hand of the father, conquering sin, Satan, and death forever. I pray for those today who, who maybe have never been in Christ. They found themselves outside of Christ. I pray today that, that this would be the day of their salvation. That as they reach out to you, they would find that they aren't grasping for you, that your hand's been there the whole time, reaching out to them, revealing to them the Son of God. I pray for those who are struggling in their walk, Lord, that as, as, they're, as they're just doing all that they can, and grinding out each and every day, Lord, that you'd give them a strength, a spiritual strength, a spiritual back, Lord, that never gives up. Your word tells us to endure and to persevere because Jesus endured and persevered. And Father, I just pray for your help for them. For those who now are in a place where they've done this for a few years and, and now find themselves in the privileged place of, of, of being spiritual parents, if you will, 
like the, like the elders of, of the letter of 1 John, these, these older men who, who have this wisdom and these experiences that, can, um, that can't be taught but can only be shared, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them audiences and people who need guidance, that you would use them for the glory of your son and the building of your kingdom. I pray today, Lord, for the babies who are here. I, I praise you that they're not just babies, but they're my family as well. For Dean and for Draven, thank you, Lord, for these babies that are being born, these, these blessings that you have given us. For the children's ministry, may you bless them as well, Lord. Kristen and Justin and all the work that they do back there. Wendy and Bill who are back there working their tails off for those kids. I, I just praise you, Lord. And I pray for this place that we would return to the gospel as well and preach it to this community. For those who need healing today, Lord, but, but find themselves not coming to the altar for whatever reason, Lord, I pray for healing for them. I believe that you can and will do miraculous things like physically healing people. I just pray that your will would be done. We give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen.